taken again by the Leafs. Brody with a shot. That was blocked in front. Another shot. Scores! Bobby McMahon scores from the corner. Holy Mackinac, the Leafs have a two-goal lead. Yeah, I'm pumped for him. I mean, you you hear a lot of stories, frankly, like that in the NHL of, of the guys taking advantage of opportunity. And, uh, you know, Bobby didn't even know he's playing tonight. Uh, I showed up to the ring today. He goes out there and... Uh, know comes up big for us so you, you want efforts like this and you want the goals to go in but he's he's trying to learn to grab onto a role in the league, right i mean he's he's uh, he can score he's done that at the american league level but it's been a challenge in the nhl so if you're not going to score which you know you're not going to get a hat trick uh, every night so you got to work on all the other things the other thing could be well be physical be defensively responsible and he's trying to find his way within kind of a role here and you know, tonight's a great night uh, to give him some confidence in life and, and uh, you know, kind of stay in the fight here for, for one of those jobs. I mean, Woody had said that to Austin Matthews after he did score back-to-back hat-tricks to start the season. That was uh, Sheldon Keefe and before him, Jake McCabe. It is the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi filling in for the sick Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs coming away with the victory over the St. Louis Blues yesterday. So here's where that now puts themselves puts them in the Eastern Conference standings. Two points clear of the Detroit Red Wings, but, and briefly into the top three in the Atlantic until the Lightning and mm-hmm. Bruins went to overtime and then eventually a shootout in which the Lightning won. So not exactly great to see a three-point game inside your division, but yeah, the Lightning a point up on the Maple Leafs for third in the Atlantic, but the Leafs with three games in hand on Tampa. But closing quickly are the New Jersey Devils, who on yesterday, Jack Hughes is back, and there's reports about them being very interested in the goaltending market. They are the first team on the outside of the Eastern Conference playoff picture looking in. They're at 58 points, four points back of the Leafs. Leafs have a game in hand on them, two points back of the Red Wings. The Flyers are are ahead of the Devils in the Metro division. I think that's the team that you would most likely look at as maybe the bubble team. I think the Devils figure this thing out goaltending-wise. They're going to be in there. Mm-hmm. Big game coming up later on this week. Big game. No question. Big game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, if you actually, and I, I, the Leafs, remember earlier in the season, Ben, where the regulation wins just weren't there with this club? Mm-hmm. I mean, now they're up to 18, which is nice. So that's a good little cushion. But again, you know, effectively, it's a team that's 27 and 24 on the season. So they're right where they are. That's They mm-hmm. are who they are telling us they are right now. They're showing us who they are. Their colors are there. They're, they're a bubble wildcard team at the moment. And uh, we'll see. Big matchup against the Flyers, of course, tomorrow night. They only have 16 regulation losses, though, which is only one more than the Panthers, and it's the exact same number as the Metro Division leading Rangers. So, yeah, if, if people are going to talk about the regulation wins thing. You should talk about the regulation loss thing. But you should also talk about the fact that the Leafs have the third toughest strength of schedule remaining this season. That's uh, that's life inside the Atlantic Division. All right, time now for our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com. Let's talk to Jamal Mares, who's our insider today, sports and analyst, former NHL forward. Good morning, Jamal. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> How are we doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> no place you'd rather be than uh, than here on Valentine's Day, I'm sure. Um, so I, how do you imagine that team felt going into that game without three of its its best players and no Morgan Riley and then us finding out very late in, in the pro, in the proceedings that Mitch Marner and John Tavares were also going to miss that, that, that game. Like, I'm sure you've been in similar circumstances where, like, roster-wise, it looks like you're up against it. 
what what are the conversations like in, in the dressing room before games like that? Yeah, I think in that moment you want to make sure that you tighten up defensively. Um, at least we're certainly aware that the Blues have been playing well heading into the game. So um, the, the discussion would have been we have to make sure we manage the puck and defend well, and they really did that very well the whole game, but especially in the first period. Yeah, no question. I mean, it was a more complete effort. Probably, I mean, if not the most complete effort we've seen, certainly defensively, they were very structured and and had a good defensive posture, which is something that they've talked a lot about throughout the season and trying to maintain that. Uh, Jamal, I did want to circle back actually to obviously the incident from Saturday night, but I I was curious about, you know, to get your opinion on, on this because to me, you know, we've invested a lot of oxygen. There's been a lot of consternation surrounding the five-game suspension. Was it too many games? Like, you know, did the Leafs get, uh, you know, was there a, a disciplinary tax because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs attached to it? But on top of that, to me, the, the what would have been worse for the Leafs is if there was no response at all. And you're a guy that's been a player, and I guess just, just by – by virtue of the fact that it's something we don't traditionally see, a guy uh, pumping a clapper into an empty net, there had to be some kind of reaction. Uh, no? Absolutely. Uh, I think that it, it would deserve a suspension. I thought it was going to be two games. A um, little bit surprised it was five. Uh, I don't think it was as bad as Perron. Both have never been suspended. It's certainly out of character for Riley to do that. But even he recognized that a response was required. Um, And I'd have to think that Greg, after talking to a couple of the veterans in his room, now realizes why that response was warranted. And and if we didn't see that from the Leafs, we'd all be questioning what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're going to hear from Brad for living today because it seems like Sheldon keeps done talking about it. Um, and, And why not? Yeah, he's moving on to... Coaching his hockey team, which he did very well yesterday in a 4-1 victory over a St. Louis Blues team that had won seven of eight. Um, I imagine there will be a support of 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 Morgan Riley at today's media availability by by Brad Treliving. How important do you think the reaction to the suspension and the backing of the player is to Morgan Riley specifically, uh, considering, you know, the, I, in this market, it's been, I think, largely positive uh, in viewing his response to Ridley Gregg on Saturday, but... You know, there's been some people disparaging Riley and, and the, the physicality uh, at the end of Saturday's game. Like, how important is what, what Brad True Living says today in relation to making Morgan Riley feel better about the situation, maybe the Leafs in general? Well, listen, we're not talking about cross-checking someone going down the street. Yeah. And people are confused. Like, this is the NHL. And if this team has designs on winning the Stanley Cup, um, there's certain things that have to happen. Now, would I have liked him to have bumped into him and started a fight? Yeah, that probably would have been a... And even he would probably say, you know what, maybe I would have adjusted my response, but a response was required. And so, you know, I'm sure they're tired of talking about it. It's time to move on. But this can be a galvanizing moment for the group um, where they come together as a team and realize, you know what, we do care, we do have emotion, and even the players with the least amount of, I mean, um, how many penalty minutes did he have coming into the game? Mm. He's not a, a physical player. He's an important player that recognized that that was that Greg had crossed the line. And I also 
don't mind what Craig did. He's frustrated in their own building. There's Leaf fans there, and they're always second fiddle to the Leafs. So I get it. But when you do that, expect a response. Um, in, in your career, Jamal, have you ever, and you just touched on it, you talked about how it could be a galvanizing experience for the Leafs and the guys in that room. Have you ever, drawing on your own experience, have you ever been in a situation where kind of those conversations happen, an incident like that might occur, and it does help get you guys, uh, not necessarily all pushing the same direction, but it brings you guys closer together as a group, something that you, an experience, an example that you can reference from your career as a player? Oh, I don't know how many times Chris Pong had been suspended, but it was more than <laughs> once. Um, and he did it. I was his roommate for five years. And he told me, you know what, Jammer, this is, this is to keep the flies away. <laughs> and at the end of the day, people were nervous because he didn't know what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Or else, he's our best player. He had to handle it himself. So I digress. What I do mean to answer your question is yes. Those conversations in our room were, let's make sure we tighten things up. Let's make sure we manage the puck. Let's make sure we play. We're, we're without our best defenseman. We have to be smarter, and we have to work together and, and be a little bit more patient. Mm. So Hockey Reference does have one of your nicknames as Jammer. It also has Jam Diggity. Which do you prefer? <laughs> Jammer. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, seems pretty pretty obvious. What uh, one, uh, one of your other uh, former teammates uh, was making news yesterday that Phil Kessel is skating with the Canucks in Abbotsford. Maybe not necessarily with the Canucks, but you know, under their supervision, as he looks to get back into the NHL. He's not that aged, and right, like this is a, this is a guy that understands his role at this point in his career. You think he can still bring value to a team, and especially? A, a, a team like the Canucks that want to do some things and a guy he knows and Rick Tockett. Absolutely. Listen, he's not going to be a top six guy. He's going to come in. He's going to be a role player. Um, if they go deep in the playoffs, they're going to need him. Um, but Rick Tockett has a great relationship with him and Phil can still score. I mean, the guy has an unbelievable shot. He can, I, I don't know how he does it. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I used to say to him, Phil, people don't don't realize how good you really are. To do what you do with your fitness level is impressive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is is real. Uh, Yeah, Phil the Thrill. uh, Getting a nice positive comment from Jam Diggity. Uh, Jam, we, we, we appreciate it very much today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too. There's Jamal Maris. Uh, Our Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. So we're going to talk to Blake Murphy a little bit. Talk about the Raptors, talk Mm -hmm. about Pascal Siakam's return tonight. We'll also talk about this. Woj Bomb with Ramona Shelburne just dropping a story. And it's, I guess, I mean, you can argue that it's a non-story because it didn't happen. But... The headline is is pretty juicy, and mm-hmm. I haven't been able to read the entire thing because it just broke while we were on air. Uh, but ESPN story with Ramona Shelburne over a 24-hour window prior to the trade deadline that included owner-to-owner conversations. The Warriors made an unsuccessful bid to convince the Lakers and LeBron James to consider a trade to pair him with Stephen Curry. There's, in the, like, half of the story that I read, already some incredible nuggets most notable to me, at least, was that it's Draymond Green mm-hmm. essentially leading the charge 
in regards to trying to recruit LeBron James like he did to Kevin Durant. And there's an anecdote in there about him reaching out directly to, to LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, which, man, it seems like that's, is that allowed? I don't know. Seems like there's going to be some questions about how up and up that is yeah. and that Jeannie Buss was involved in these conversations and said, hey, I don't want to move him, but we got to ask him. You can reach out to him. Let him decide. And LeBron said, in no uncertain terms, thanks, but no thanks. There's also some anecdotes in there about the Sixers also reaching out mm-hmm. to LeBron James, but I think Daryl Morey, it's understood, is like that's kind of his modus <laughs> operandi yeah. that he he does. But this is... is Interesting. What what what, oh. what part of this do you, you want to tackle first? Well, I think, okay. Uh, one, I think Draymond stands out here as the facilitator, the recruiter in all of this, uh, because as you pointed out, Ben, he he played a, a crucial role in luring KD over to and the And then Warriors. sending him away. And then bas- yeah, and then shipping him away at the same time. Um, but also on, on the, on the tampering front in this NBA, is anything really tampering anymore? I mean, guys, do, they they get punished, right? Well, I would. I this is. I mean, explicitly in this story, states Green, whom Paul also represents at Clutch, sent Paul a text message soliciting his help, convincing James to join him in Golden State. Sources said, if that's not tampering, I don't know what's what's tampering. Like, if there's no punishment or supplemental discipline that comes down for that alone. That report, and obviously they'll investigate or whatever. But man, oh man, how can how can you have a how can that be appropriate at any point in mm. the course of an active season? It's not even appropriate in the off season, really, before free agency officially begins. We all know, though, they have those conversations. So I I think this is this is potentially a very combustible story. There's a lot of moving parts here, um, and it's very interesting to see what sort of the next domino is because I think there's more. There's certainly more. So I was on the record you know, playing just like fantasy GM before the deadline, okay. that this would be amazing. I discussed this very possibility. If, oh, okay. To the Warriors? Yeah. Because okay. I, I, and I, I, I wasn't one of the, the, the prime haters of Kevin Durant to the Warriors, but I like, didn't like that. Yeah, I don't And it man. made it inevitable. And in the two years that he was healthy, it was inevitable. It was, yes. It was pretty inevitable. Yep. Oh, you watched like the finals. Yeah. yeah. I guess it, <laughs> it was incredible when the Cavs won that game. It was like un. Believable. Yep. And that was the one that won. That was it. That, that was, yeah. So that was no fun. To me, this actually would have been a lot of fun because mm-hmm. you obviously have diminished versions of the players, but like still playing pretty close to the peak of their powers and LeBron and, and Steph Curry. And this is no longer a 73-win Warriors team adding the best player on the planet. This is a team that was playing tournament team a season ago, like hoping to get into the playing tournament this year. Same with the Lakers, and they made it, you know, deep into the Western Conference playoffs a season ago, but still like not at perfect teams by any stretch of the imagination. And a couple of, you know, historic rivals reuniting one last kick at the can. And LeBron's legacy is already as a mercenary, anyways, right? Like he's it's been all over the place. Why not? I... Golden State. I I I don't know if this is the prevailing thought. I think it's not. I think it's the opposite, that it's all Warriors making yep. the super team again. But I, I, I'll i just tell you, I don't love this. Yeah, I'm probably on the opposite side of things where I'm like, oh, God, I, I would I would not want to see. Well, okay, there's two minds. One is just out of pure curiosity, I would love to see it. But on the flip side, as somebody who wants to see you know, competitive basketball and, and I'm not the biggest fan of the whole super team era that we've resided in for, you know, I don't know what a decade, maybe even longer in the NBA. I would hate it, 
that being said, it does make also if we project forward, this offseason will be fascinating because this might not be the most outlandish possibility in terms of him actually going there. Mm. Here's the reason why. One, you've got they they'll have the financial flexibility. Clay Thompson will be a free agent. They will probably want to bring him back. Even if they do bring him back, it's not going to be as a max player. Like he's going to be taking, he'll accept a different role. He'll, he'll financially, it'll be at a different uh, salary. And LeBron has an option. Of course, he's going to hit free agency. We know he wants to play with his son. That being said, his son, not even on draft radars right now. So who knows what happens there? If it all aligns, there is a scenario where this does actually happen. Um, so that is interesting to me. It sort of plants the seed, Ben, of mm-hmm. where maybe it feels like we're we're on the verge of another move for LeBron going somewhere else. That's what it ultimately feels like regardless. is He's not going to finish as a Laker, and we're going to see him somewhere else. Whatever that looks like, do I like the idea of him going, hey, team up with Steph and all that? Not really because you're rivals and at various points in your career. And it is very reminiscent of what KD did, um, although at a different stage where that was the power that were, they were the ultimate superpower in the NBA at the time. Yeah, seventy-three wins the season he, before. Exactly. Like, Wait, not even but, that. You know what? You know what? Never mind the seventy. You know what actually irks me about that? Right. The the thing that irks me more is that the the Warriors beat them in the Western Conference Finals, and he joined them. Sure. That bothers me more because they were the only team OKC mm-hmm. that was actually capable. Of in the West that was actually capable of pushing them. They had them on the doorstep and they lost. And yeah. that bothered me. I don't me. know. What bothered me was like, hey, gotta have a ring. Oh, it's all about winning. All about winning. Yeah, the guy like he goes to too. the he goes to the place where he's obviously gonna win. And I understand the reasons why you would denigrate him, but I I, I thought it was fine. Like, yeah, Kevin Durant and the weirdness of that particular season and the expanding of the salary cap allowed it to happen, but yeah. I, I wasn't as hating as much on on that decision as many others were, and they won two. And when he was healthy, it was inevitable, but it was fleeting moment, right? And I think Kevin yeah. Durant yeah. realized it wasn't, you know, getting a ring in that fashion isn't all it's cracked up to be. If you're, despite the fact that you're Finals MVP, it's Steph Curry's team, and mm-hmm. obviously tried to do that somewhere else, and hasn't so, worked. Yeah, sliding doors moment though, like toes not on the line against the Bucks yeah, in true. the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah. Anyways, no, this thing. I'm of the different opinion, though, when it comes to this offseason with LeBron James, because if ever there was a time, like, and ownership is telling you, and I'm sure Jeannie Buss wasn't like, hey, we wouldn't fault you, but, and, boy, kudos to her and that organization for saying, hey, you don't want to be here? Good riddance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Opening the door to that possibility and saying, nope. Yeah, uh, even to entertain that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to be here. And we know proximity when it comes to to his family and and where he's now set down roots in California, that that's important to him. And yeah, it's it's in the same state. California's a big state, oh. though. Northern California, <laughs> different than Southern California. I I think, to me, this is the best indication that he's going to re-up. And we talked to Dave McManaman a couple, okay. of, a couple of years ago, or t- a couple of weird, <laughs> uh, like last week or the week before about yep. the LeBron James LA stuff. And, and I guess it was before the deadline and, and asked him for a percentage chance, even though, you know, we'd heard from Rich Paul that he wasn't going anywhere, that he would not be a Laker come the deadline. He said, like, minus 100, like, he's going to be a Laker and he's going to be a Laker next year. I think, to me, this is an indication because there, there was an off-ramp here. And certainly he would have had his haters, but he, he could have upped his percentage chance of winning yet another title. And I, I think increasing his legacy by joining forces with Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay 
in in San Francisco and decided not to. To me, that's an indication that yeah, he's just he's going to come back and run it back with the Lakers. And who knows? Like maybe mm-hmm. maybe this team is good enough. They looked a little bit better since the deadline, and D'Angelo Russell is a viable piece for them mm-hmm. now. So who knows? But I, I think there's an indication LeBron's not going anywhere. You know, the thing with LeBron, I, I actually legacy wise, I don't, I think, I don't think there's anything that can tarnish his legacy. It's the same thing with KD. Like KD before he went to the Warriors was always, at least in my view, I look at him. I'm like, yeah, it's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Regardless, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what he does now for whatever reason, rings seem to play such a big part in, in just like motivating these guys. Like it's a counting statistic that you need to have in order to cement yourself for some weird reason. Whereas to me, I look at what, like, let's say Kevin Durant would have got one ring in his career. Let's say it's just one with whatever team at some point he gets one ring. I wouldn't view him any differently than I do because now all of a sudden he has two or potentially more when his career is all said and done to me, it wouldn't have mattered LeBron going to the warriors and trying to win another championship it won't it wouldn't affect my view of him as a player or what he's accomplished that being said it would also then say well okay let's run through all those championships you won lebron and how many did you do where you won those with you know superpower guys at the peak of their powers around you um all nba caliber guys that you're playing with it it's so not it doesn't denigrate. I mean, it, how but many it, it, how many guys win it. championships without all nba no, caliber you need, but you teammates need, you, yeah but there's it, there's, I think there's a way like sh- strong arming your way around is is different than just ending up in a certain situation. Yeah, but it. Like, I think that changed like, for me when he went back to Cleveland. Yeah, well that 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 certainly pushed aside everything he did with Miami. And, and then he, yeah, like that's what I mean though. I I don't. I, it right, won't yeah, change my way. It won't change the way I look at him. It might affect the way some people view it. It might not. If he were to go there and win, it might not mean as much. It would. Now, mind you, the fact that he was doing it at 40, 41 years old, it would be very impressive if they go and win a championship yeah, at that 39 age. 39 is pretty ridiculous, It's too. nuts. hundred Totally, I mean, it's go nuts. Go back and look at Jordan on the Wizards. My God. I know. That's that's, that's 100%. I just, I think it's interesting. On that championship point, you know, like Kawhi's won, what's he got? He's got the two titles, right? Mm-hmm. The Spurs, that's where he was drafted, whatever. He, he became, uh, you know, a star there. Then he gets moved to Toronto. He goes, you know, willingly, unwillingly. We don't really know. But he did show up and he played and he won his championship. Those two titles almost mean more in a sense because of how they he won those championships mm-hmm. than handpicking like KD's two mm-hmm. titles and saying, I'm going to go join the best team uh, dominating the league and I'm just going to go collect two rings. I don't know. The one he won in Cleveland, coming back to Cleveland after they burned his jersey and did the super team thing and won a couple of titles, but only two coming back to Cleveland and then beating the 73 yeah. win Warriors in game seven and having the block. And yeah, okay, he had... Yeah, Kyrie Irving he had a pretty big shot in that game too. But the, again, like it's it's a it's a team sport. You you need high quality teammates. To me, that was he's already done the thing. Like he has yeah. the 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 championship outside mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. super team and then the bubble championship. Okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's a championship. He won it. Sure. Yeah, sure. Thing. We'll give it to him. But I, even that though, like it's it's it follows in this theme for him of I got to pick the best teammates, Paul. I got to go get the, mm. go team up with the guys or like I go to the Lakers. Yeah. Great. I arrive and I send this positive message. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to work with the young guys and bring these young guys up and elevate them like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo. And, and then what do you do? Yeah. Ah, no, no. Give me Anthony Davis. Yeah. 
he's got that reputation. And this would just add to that. Again, it doesn't change how I view him. He, like revered, right? No question. But it does, it does add another, it would add another uh, asterisk to his resume in the sense of, hey, everywhere he goes, he's always trying to pull the best guys and be le GM. That's, that's what he is. Yeah. Hasn't necessarily worked out uh, the best <laughs> as far as picking teammates. But now, I mean, just from a narrative standpoint, this would have been amazing. It would, uh, it would have been fun. Yeah. Santana coming to Budweiser stage this summer on June 26th with Counting Crows as part of their oneness tour. We have tickets to give away to enter. Listen daily to the fan morning show for the code word, then text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Santana. Text Santana to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. We have another pair of tickets to give away on tomorrow's show, but if you don't win with us, tickets officially on sale this Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Ticketmaster.ca. When we come to, uh, come back, we'll, we'll probably talk more about this LeBron James story and Pascal Siakam, his return to Toronto tonight with Blake Murphy of the Raptor Show and Blue Jays Talk Plus. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Daniele Franceschi filling in for Brent Gunning. And there's so much to get to with our next guest. I don't even know where to start. How about how about here? It's Blake Murphy of the Raptor Show and Blue Jays Talk Plus, but also number one Bobby McMahon stan. Your, <laughs> your, your boy going off with the hattie yesterday, Blake. That's right. Uh, my dad, very excited. Uh, my dad lives in Newfoundland, and Bobby McMahon obviously had a, a short stint with the Growlers to start his pro career. So mm-hmm. it was a, a very lively text exchange during what uh, what nice. I thought was going to be a pretty bad Leaf game yesterday. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I anticipated it. I tweeted immediately upon receiving the news that John Tavares and Mitch Marner would join, join Morgan Riley not in that game, that they would win uh, 7-1, so it was off by... Three goals, but pretty damn close. Got to tell you, um, I don't. Have you seen the the Woj report about LeBron? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah that was a nice first read over <laughs> coffee this morning. Ridiculous. <laughs> we just talked about it for ten minutes. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are it's hilarious that Draymond has you know, in addition to the podcast war with Yusuf Nurkic, and also claiming that his suspension is what uh, sparked the Warriors to actually be good again, is now also <laughs> going into poor Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s office and be like, "Hey, hey, boss, I got an idea. We should trade for LeBron." Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. And if we can't get LeBron, uh, try Kevin Durant. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. It's uh, I don't know, man. This is uh. It's pretty amusing. Like, look, good for the Warriors for at least checking in. I think, you know, when you have the star power of of Steph and what he can bring, you at least have to imagine about those things. But, yeah, come on. The Lakers are going to trade LeBron James in season. That'd be the end for Rob Palenka. I would agree with you on that one, Blake. But, okay, let me me ask you this hypothetical because we didn't even touch on this. What would that trade even look like? Like, what would a trade – for LeBron look like we've seen KD get moved. Like we've actually seen at a time where it felt like there was a, a time where those kind of trades would not really were, weren't wouldn't happen or they were unlikely to happen. And yet we've seen a lot of these massive star uh, caliber players just get moved. LeBron is obviously from a legacy perspective and even currently is, is obviously still really good. Um, but what would that entail? Like if you had to venture to guess, what would that look like? 
Yeah, I mean, the Warriors could have removed the protections on the pick they owe this year, so then they would have been able to trade away, I think, three firsts. Um, and then you're talking about, like, you know, Wiggins and the salary mm-hmm. filler package. I'm sure L.A. would have been like, okay, Kaminga, Moody, Pajemski, they all got to be in there. Basically, everything other than Steph, Clay, Draymond <laughs> that you could possibly move would be in that deal. Um, who knows? Maybe they even say, give us Chris Paul instead of Wiggins so they don't have to take the bad money. The funny part is that, like, the Lakers would have been acquiring all of that to turn around in the offseason and immediately try to make the exact same trade. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it would have been amazing. Yeah. And and I, I think it would have the, – the thing that I took away, I mean, outside of the Draymond of it all, which is, yeah, the number one – uh, element of it was the genie bus was like, yeah, I I don't want to trade LeBron James, but let's ask LeBron. Does he want to go? And yeah, emphatically said, uh, thanks, but uh, no thanks. All right, let's talk about the, this Raptors team, which is in a little bit of turmoil these days. Monday, was they not- should trade for LeBron James. <laughs> there you go. That's the I, answer. Why, why didn't we hear? We why didn't we read Masai Ujiri uh, reaching out to to the Lakers as well? Because I mean, Daryl Morey was in there. Yeah, come on, where you're sleeping on the job, Masai. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Monday was dispiriting. <laughs> yeah, Wemby will do that to you, I guess. Um, but yeah, and the Scotty Barnes end of the game thing is, is I guess the uh, headline grabber and the 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 weirdness of both he and Darko Ryakovich's media availabilities yesterday continues that story. But to me, man, Blake, it was it was the body language. It was the lack of coming back on on defense during that game on Monday. I know you guys talked about it a little bit on on the Raptors show yesterday, but okay, yeah, how how concerning is it that this guy on the court, his demeanor, body language, effort at times can waver? Yeah, I mean it's not it's not what you want. Certainly, I, I would like with any of these conversations, I'm gonna you know clarify that he's 22 and he wouldn't be the first player to show signs of immaturity at times at 22 and then figure it out by the time he's 24 and 25. But yeah, right now the biggest challenge for him, in addition to, Hey, you're number one on the scouting report, you're getting all the defensive attention is, you know, in being handed the keys, that's not just about who has the highest usage rate, who has the most front court touches. It's also you know, hey, you're the tone setter off the court. The team goes as you go energy-wise. The guys in the huddle are going to look to you for your energy and what you're, you know, not only saying, but the way that that looks and the way you're delivering that. And that's new for him. That's something that he's never had. Like in college, he wasn't that guy. In high school, he wasn't that guy. In in the USA U19 teams, he wasn't that guy. Those teams had you know, bigger stars or, or at least, you know, if not better players than guys who had the ball in their hands a little bit more, who had the, the higher name value. So this is brand new for him. And it's a part of the challenge here for him and for the Raptors. And it's part of what, look, it's not, it's not ideal that this is being given to him after 12 months where 15 of 18 spots on the roster turned over. Like there's just, there's not a leadership core uh, around him anymore the way that there was in in prior years and even earlier this year um so it's a little abrupt but this is a thing that eventually you were going to have to find out anyway can he lead on and off the court and, and can he take something like this and learn from it and realize hey yeah if i get down on myself because i have three or four turnovers in the first quarter and they cost us buckets you know uh don't accept that those are buckets and get back in transition defense or try to make the next play on offense. Uh, I'm not excusing any of this. I'm just saying that he wouldn't be the first young player to take some time to figure it out. Now, I, I think ideally that this would have gone 
you know, we would have said all of those things. And then at practice yesterday, it would have been like, yep, I know it was a mistake. Here's a yeah. bit of accountability about it. It's not that big a deal, but I learned from it. But instead we got the, nah, we didn't actually, like we got a full <laughs> Rick James, like, do you remember uh, slapping Charlie Murphy? No, I don't remember that. I never did that. Yeah, I remember slapping Charlie Murphy. It's like, like what are you guys? Scotty and Darko not being on the same page after having that chat is, Scotty is had not his, a great sign. He had his muddy boots all over that couch yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The messaging was murky um, and convoluted because even with like within Scotty's own uh, availability, um, you just I, I the one answer there, there was one answer beyond uh, the stuff about the meeting that really stood out too was you know Grange had referenced uh, he was talking about leadership and and he interrupted Grange's question and said we're all leaders yeah. in that room and I was like okay uh, I, again I, I I'm like you Blake where I'm like we got to be patient he's 22 years old the the mature like there's maturing to do there and that's okay uh he can be emotional at times but you know more often than not you do see the passion and and the way he plays the game there's there's a lot of love and care there when he's out there it's just the occasions where you don't get it where it does look bad on occasion i guess bigger picture though for me the question is from a team standpoint how do the raptors factor into trying to ensure that he is put in those positions where he can learn to doesn't necessarily have to be the, be the 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 main leader on the team, but how he can learn to internalize some of those leadership traits and qualities so that he's able to be the alpha of your team, yet still hold himself accountable and then hold his teammates to account as well. I think there's got to be a way that they can strike that balance. And to me, I think this is this is this incident would underscore the need for that plan to be in place. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, the biggest thing is it's going to take time and experience and it's not going to be, you know, solved right away. Like he's not going to come out tonight, I don't think, and be the absolute best leader in mm -hmm. the entire NBA. And like DeMar took some time to get there where, you know, there was a, a 538 piece way back when about how DeMar led the league in not getting back in transition Ooh. defense after taking a bucket in the lower third of the, <laughs> the floor. Um, we all know that Kyle took some prodding to become mm -hmm. the leader that he would eventually become. Like these are not, you know, Joel Embiid is a guy who for years has shown perhaps too much emotion on the court at times um, relative to, you know, what you would, Sorry, I shouldn't say too much emotion. Emotion is not a bad thing on its own, but you know, channeling that emotion in in a way that maybe wasn't conducive to um, you know the team's energy and things like that. Lots of guys go through that, and I think really it is just a matter of experience. Like I, I don't think look, they did the he had years where Fred and Pascal were around as part of the leadership core. They did the uh, you know the trio of old heads this year with Otto Porter and Thad Young and Garrett Temple. Um, they brought in a, a new coach. Masai has sat down with them last year midseason. Like, I, I don't think that it's for lack of um, resources and examples around him. I think just as a 22 year old and having only a couple weeks under your belt as the the main guy, where you know, yeah, he's done. He did this stuff when Pascal was still here, when OG was still here. Like there are examples mm -hmm. from earlier in the season as well. It just, there was someone else to then like, Hey, grab the ball or grab the mic in the timeout for back of a, for lack of a better phrase. So, um, that's all really like, I, I don't, again, I don't think any of this is great, but I think it's, uh, you know, uh, not to go all dark go with it, but it, yeah, it's a learning opportunity and we're going to see more 
Hopefully we don't see him leave mm. the court with time left on the clock, mm. but we're going to see more ups and downs like this. Yeah, I, honestly, that part of it, I, I think is the <laughs> least of it because, yeah, I went back and watched it again last night and it is, it's a blowout and it's literally like the Spurs trying to run out the clock and then it's a shot clock violation and literally Darko and Greg Popovich are shaking hands before the final the horn too. Honestly, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's much of any, like I don't think it's anything other than a tweet if Pascal yeah. hadn't been suspended for the same thing. <laughs> or, well, sorry, benched. Yep. I'm not supposed to say suspended mm. for like CBA and labor reasons. He wasn't, if Pascal yeah. hadn't been benched uh-huh. a couple years ago for the exact same <laughs> thing. Sort of, but I mean, he fouled out in that game and there was not, I, I do think there's like a, a plausible case that, that, that Scotty did think the game was over, although he was the only guy going down the, the tunnel. Like he also did. He also said that wasn't the case yesterday. Yeah, he did. He acknowledged that. Yeah. Well, he, he kind of, <laughs> yeah. Darko was, gave him the out. Yes, he didn't take it. That's what I was. I, I know. I, I mentioned that if you listen to it, Darko's like, yeah, he said it was a mistake and he's learned from it. He thought it was a shock. And Scotty's like, no, I, I, I know that was, you know, it was wrong to do that. <laughs> I, like, okay. So what is it? I think, I think it blew up for two reasons. Ben and I talked about it earlier. One is hundred percent what you just said, Blake, which is, hey, Pascal had a similar incident occur and they, well, okay, if we're going to say benched him, we won't say suspend, we won't use the S word, but they benched him for a game. Then also there was another instance where he gets fined 50 grand for having a verbal spat with Nick Nurse. Um, And so, okay, you're thinking, well, this franchise, now I know it's a different coach, but they took disciplinary action against their best player in the past and now you're going to let this slide. So that's one. And secondarily is the the, the messaging was so poor yesterday, um, whether that was just a case of miscommunication or, you know, Darko trying to maybe sugarcoat some things. It didn't. The optics are bad. And I think that's why we're sitting here and it kind of blew up to what it, be, it has become. Yeah, exactly. This, this could have been very mm-hmm. much like the Pascal element and like the timing of Pascal being here today. Like you mm-hmm. that that part of it is not great. But I, I really do think this is a not even a 20, like a 18 hour news cycle. If all the messaging is on point of practice yesterday yeah. and everyone just like buries it. Like, like I know there are some people who think that, you know, media are just bored or something like that, or, or, <laughs> or, you know, want to stir up negativity about Scotty Barnes. Like, no, I haven't seen anything other than people saying what we're saying, which is not the end of the world, not a good look. Um, but they extended it. Like they extended the, yeah. the talking point here. Um, anyway, it'll be over tonight when, and, and like, Obviously, there's a, the ideal scenario where Scotty just comes out and puts it to Pascal tonight. But, uh, uh, yeah, look, if the same thing happens again tonight, it's going to be the talking point coming out of the All-Star break and probably for the rest of the season. So uh, the Raptors are in control uh, of what happens next with this uh, this particular talking point. Okay, I want to talk about Pascal in a second. But I, I do – but last thing on just this this overall – effort or unquantifiable thing that's happening with this Raptors team, even before the trades of OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, right? There's a lot of lifeless efforts, this team. And it's up to the players to, 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 to have life <laughs> and try their darndest to win basketball games. But I mean, doesn't some of that fall at the lap of the head coach? Like what, what is the responsibility of Darko Ryakovich here? When we consider the multitude of times that this time has had, this team has had uneven effort levels. Yeah, I mean it's entirely on him. The the quote from the the game the other night where 
you know, like I, I know people are are excited to to make jokes and dunk and stuff, but like I'm not surprised that I got 30 replies and like 100 quote retweets about Darko's quote. That was lack of effort. That was lack of intensity. That was lack of focus. Right from the start of the game, I feel like mm-hmm. I could have just self retweeted from an earlier game this year. Yeah. Like they've been down by 20 points or more, more than almost any team in the NBA this year. They've been down by 20 plus more frequently this year than they were in the Tampa season yes. where they were blatantly tanking and oh. sitting out their guys. I know this isn't a good team, but you still like, look, even if you absolutely want to keep the pick, you want to tank as much as possible. And you could argue whether or not that's, that's the right move. If you wanted to do that, it still wouldn't be good to get pasted by 30 by a team that's only won 11 games. You would want to be competitive in those losses. You would want to see young players playing well and improving and just, ah, shucks, we couldn't pull it out like the OKC-style game. You don't want guys just completely no-showing. And, yeah, it's happened too often. And, you know, I I don't really know what the explanation is for back-to-back games where quickly R.J. Barrett and Gary Trent Jr. all don't really show up. You know, the the Scotty element is... I think more about the the load on him and, and getting the best defender every night where he wasn't a couple weeks ago. But yeah, the, like you can't you can't be like, well, Jakob Pertl's going to set the tone or Kelly Olynyk's going to come off the bench and stabilize things. Like even though RJ quickly, uh, Trent and Barnes are all twenty five and under, like those have to be the tone setters because those are the guys who are starting. And three of those guys, in quickly Barrett and Barnes, are supposed to be pillars of the future. Now you you just you really can't have it. You, you can understand one of those guys having a bad night each night. Like they're young players that they're, they're expanding their roles. Those things are going to happen, but it's, this has been like a pretty regular thing all year long. And it does, you know, a, a chunk of it at least falls on the coaching staff. Darko's got to lead the league short of Greg Popovich in timeouts within the first two minutes of the game. And that's preparation. That's, that's getting your guys going out there, ready to play basketball. I don't know who to put it on. If not the head coach. Yeah, we use this in hockey all the time, Blake. Start on time. They got to start on time. They got to do a better job of that. There's no doubt about it. Um, All right, last one for you. Pascal Siakam obviously coming back tonight. First game since uh, in Toronto since he was dealt uh, a few weeks ago uh, to the Indiana Pacers. Um, I'll give you the layup here. Like when we talk about legacy and and what Siakam meant for this team, I think there's nobody probably better who can who can speak to it than you because you 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 know him as well as anybody. You saw him from when he was drafted and went through the G league process. Like what is it? What is your lasting memory and impression of Pascal Siakam as a Toronto Raptor? Yeah. I mean the, the championship obviously being a key part of the championship, but as a general basketball person, I think he truly is like one of the greatest player development stories we've ever seen to, to go from, you know, not playing basketball until your teenage years to playing at a small college where nobody scouted you because yeah, anyone can put up 20 and 10 in this conference and stuff. And then being a late first, like everyone mocked him to go in the, in the mid second round, the late second round, he goes in the first, everyone kind of raises their eyebrows and then slowly step by step is like, okay, he could be an energy guy. Okay. He could be a good bench piece. Okay. He could start and he can be, you know, a piece on a championship team and just each successive level all the way up to becoming uh, an all NBA player for, for a bit there. It really is, you know, kind of changed my perspective on um, player development where, you know, I, I don't want to put limits on guys anyway. But it really was, uh, and he kind of used this phrase to me a few years back in his uh, his first All-Star season, is like him and Masai would sit down and say, like, why not? 
Why mm-hmm. can't a six foot ten guy handle a little bit? Why can't an energy guy who can push and transition also have the ball in the half court? Why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? So, um, you know, nod to Russell Westbrook there. But the the why not aspect of his player development story is uh, is something I think I'll keep pretty close as like future waves of young guys come through the system and just the NBA in general. Like you can't you can't put really put limits on guys, especially guys who get late starts, guys who are hard workers and guys who, you know, the, those guys you look at and you're like, ah, if this clicks right, what mm. could it be? Um, it, it's been a pretty fascinating uh, journey to track. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, 27th pick uh, goes to the the second leading scorer over the six-game final series against the Warriors in 2019, and then the next season finishes top 10 in MVP voting. Insane. Would have been interesting to see that season play out with the pan- without the uh, pandemic. Would have, yeah. been, would have been nice to see uh, you know our lives play out without the <laughs> pandemic. But uh, them's the breaks, I suppose. Uh, Blake, always a pleasure, buddy. And, and great to see that uh, Blue Jays Talk Plus is coming back yesterday. Looking forward to that. Yeah, Raptors giving us a little assist there with the early start time. Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you, buddy. Uh, there's Blake Murphy of the Raptors show and Blue Jays Talk Plus. Yeah, I mean, I'll remember this Yakim floater over Draymond with about 30 seconds to go in game six where mm-hmm. that game is hanging in the balance. Raptors only up one, puts yep. them up three. And it was, you know, thanks to... Uh, yeah, it's some some interesting decision making at the end of that game. There was still an opportunity for Steph Curry to tie the game at the end of it. But whatever. Danny Green threw the ball away. I'll never Holy forget that. Holy cow. Ben, I'll never forget that. That was unbelievable. I, if, if Steph Curry hits that <laughs> yeah, three, right? I mean, Danny Green goes into the annals of time with Bill Buckner. Like, what's worse? What Danny Green did or Bill Buckner? I would argue it's Danny Green. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. No, if, I, yeah. If, if the Warriors win that game and then win in seven games, that, that Siakam Florida, though, is one of the forgotten shots from mm-hmm. that because we what do we talk about that's like well the Fred the screen like everybody's or, got all these or, or the, the Lowry started that game the, the way he started 100% so it's kind of one of those overlooked moments almost kind of befitting of what you know, I don't want to say overlooked but befitting of like him being I think we're going to look back in 10 years and say boy he was really good and he was an underappreciated rapper I think times. the last two years have done that to him yep. and it was the way again the pandemic ruining a lot of things but what was an incredible like Blake said like why not yeah. It was like, ah, oh, well, Pascal Sam's a good player, but he can't become like one of the during that season, we were having legitimate, like, oh MVP my God. Well, can he finished yep. top ten in MVP voting. He's not allowed to touch a basketball for a couple of months. Looks like he's incapable of playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Honestly, was not deserving of being on the court in the final moments of those playoff games against the the Celtics. Yep. That, that series somehow they pushed to <laughs> to seven games on the strength of OG Ananobi hitting a three with oh. Point, what was it, point three? Whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. No, I think the last couple of years have uh, took some of the shine off, and people need to remember what an incredible story he was, yep. and uh, he will get his due tonight. Daniele, this is a lot of fun. Oh, Ben, my pleasure. Thank you. This has been great. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, good morning.